We're continuing our series today as we have a look at First John, the book of First John. So if you've got your Bibles, jump over there. We're going to pull a couple of passages from there in a moment. And I had the privilege of sharing just a fortnight ago on the first chapter where where uh, we began the series and we established uh, the overarching theme from the book of First John is love and fellowship. And the evidence of, of Jesus Christ seen through us, Graham mentioned it last week as well, this, this belief that was happening in the, in the church during the time that this book was written called docetism. And it's a fancy word that basically means that there was a belief that Jesus was not truly human when he came to earth, and therefore all the sufferings that he had, the trials, the temptations, uh, the whole crucifixion on the cross were really just apparent that he didn't really suffer in the, in the way that we believe that he did, but rather he was a phantom or just an apparition, a, a spiritual being and not a human. So this book was, was written to, to really emphasize that the evidence of Jesus Christ, well, John being one of the disciples who could clearly say, hey, I was there, I know he was human, but he, he throughout this book, refers to the fact that that we are the evidence of Jesus Christ in the world that we live in. And that is something that is still relevant a couple of thousand years later as we sit here today and study this book, that uh, the evidence of Jesus being true, being alive, being real and relevant is our lives, not just uh, some words or a belief that goes around. And Graham shared last week from chapter 2 a great analogy about having uh, a foot or your, a foot in each camp. And uh, that was a really good one. If you missed last week, jump on the podcast or on the website. You can watch the video or, or listen to the audio. And, and this week, as we look at chapter 3, it continues the same theme. God's love for us, our need to be pure in his sight, and, and again, our love for one another. And I just want to encourage you to, um, you know, as we, as we go through this book in church, you know, let's not be the only time that we reflect upon it or the only time that we, we read it being this, this Sunday that we have together. Because even today, I'm only going to focus on one verse out of this whole chapter. And there's a whole wealth of knowledge in this chapter that, that we can study in ourselves in our own time. You know, from week to week, there's, a, there's going to be a great power and a great, a great thing if as a church we're all studying and reading from the same book throughout the week and then coming ready and prepared each week as we look at the next chapter. And, and uh, we continually remind the next generation at Wildfire, our incredible young people who are out there, about their own personal study and their own, their own reading of the Word of God. Uh, we love to remind them, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that Scripture, or the Bible, uh, is there to correct us for what we do wrong and to show us what to do right. You know, for every challenge that we have in our life, for every hope or dream that's in our heart, for every situation or circumstance that we're in, there's something in the Word of God that can correct us if we're doing something wrong and guide us in doing something right. And help us to live uh, the best life that we can. And, and we also share a lot that, you know, the Bible is a living word, which is great. I mean, if, if you look at the, the latest book series that's out there or your favorite author or the latest bestseller, if you read that book, this is what 
I'm currently finding amazing about the Bible as I think about it. If you read the latest best-selling book, you can read the paragraph and you can gain an understanding of what the author was trying to communicate with you. And so can every other person that reads that book. They can get the same understanding, the same visualization of what's being described in the book. But the reason why we call the Bible the living word of God is because each one of us in this room can read a passage from the Bible right now and gain something different, something relevant to our life and our time, even though the person next to you might get something completely different from it that's relevant to them. And not only that, 12 months later, and I'm sure many of us have experienced this, hopefully all, you can go back, read the same passage of the Bible again and get something completely different, something fresh, something new, something you haven't discovered before, something that's completely relevant to where you are right at that point in your life. And that's why I want to encourage you as we're reading through and studying the book of First John, that let's not leave it to Sundays. Let's grab it through the week. Let's get some revelation. Let's get an understanding. Let's come next week already keyed up on chapter 4 and, and letting God speak to us about it. And then as we come together as a community, hear what he has to say to the entire church. But this week I want to pull out just a couple of verses from this entire chapter and, and hence why it's important to, um, to look at it from week to week. But if you've got your Bibles, have a look in chapter 3 and verse 18. It should be on the screens if you don't. And it says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. The message translation or paraphrase says, My dear children, let's not talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're living truly, living in God's reality. And when I was around 14 years old, just a couple of years ago, um, my brother and I were, were um, how can I say it? We were... Uh, Increasing the frequency of our frustration and friendly wrestling. Mum called it fighting, but uh, but but for us it was yeah it was it was fighting. Um, the problem was my brother, who's about eighteen months younger than me, he he grew up a bit quicker than me, and so when we were around fourteen, thirteen years old, he started to get bigger than me. He started to get stronger than me. And I still kind of had him in his place for a little while, but very quickly he worked out that if, if he wanted something, he could, he could get it. Because he, he became, he, his manliness came faster than mine, which is not hard to imagine. Um, but, but it, you know, to the point where I think my dad actually taught me to shave because he felt bad because my brother had been shaving for about 12 months. And he was younger than me. And if you know my brother, you can understand why he had to shave so young. And so because my brother and I were constantly at each other, because we were having these friendly wrestles that looked like fighting, but they were really just brotherly love, uh, my mum decided that, or my parents decided that it would be a great thing to do to take us away camping for the weekend. Which is great. If you're having trouble getting on with your sibling in a big four-bedroom house, yeah, stick us in a tent together for the weekend. 
And uh, but as as a parent now, I understand the theory of it and and why it worked. And not only that, it rained all weekend. So way to make a tent feel even smaller is to stay in there for the entire weekend. But it was a great lesson because as we've heard in other weeks, as as John talked about in his gospel, John thirteen thirty five, one of my my favorite scriptures, Jesus says that the world would know that we are his disciples because of the way that we love each other. And then we're reminded in 1 John 3 that the way that we show love for each other is real love, it's actions, it's not just the words of, of, uh, of having a friendly wrestle with my brother and then a quick apology just so I can get dessert that night, but really it's about real love and showing actions and, and putting things into play rather than just words. And, uh, and, and that's what my mum knew, that we had to kind of get through that. And it was not a great example of being a disciple of Christ if our actions to each other did not demonstrate love. She always taught me growing up that ministry begins at home. You know, you've got to get things right at home. If you can't get on with your brother, why do you want to be a youth leader? She doesn't have to say that to me too much. Anymore, but First John three eighteen encourages us, children. Let's not just talk about love, but let's practice real love. Uh, not too many years after this rainy camping weekend, you can tell it's etched in my mind. Uh, spending so much time in close quarters, quarters with my brother, um, I had the chance to share in church for the very first time in the church that I grew up in, and it happened to be on Mother's Day. So this day, many, many years ago, and uh, I had the chance to share like a, a quick 10-minute message for the mothers. And I shared a message from First Samuel in the Old Testament, which I'm sure many of you are aware of. It's quite a, a classic Mother's Day message. It's Hannah's prayer for a son. And that son that was born and grew up uh, was Samuel. And I revisited those chapters again when I got thinking about Mother's Day, reading over them and, and just thinking about, you know, the story of one of the, the greatest mothers that's recorded in the Bible, this lady, Hannah. And, uh, and as I began to read the story, I felt the Holy Spirit show me four actions that we can pull out of the story of Hannah that can correct and guide us in practicing real love for one another. Four actions that we can take and also being highly relevant that it's Mother's Day to look and study the life of one of the greatest mothers. So we're going to head over to First Samuel chapter 1 this morning if you've got your Bibles and we're going to look at what are the four things that we can get from Hannah's life and, and uh, this situation with her and being a mother that we can put into practice four things that we can use in our life, four actions, four decisions that show real love for one another so that we can demonstrate the love of Christ. We can show that we are disciples of a real Jesus Christ by the way that we act to each other. Now, as you turn over there, just a little bit of a background on the story where we pick it up. There was a man and his name was Elkanah. Any Elkanahs here this morning? No, that's good. That would be interesting. And he had two wives, Hannah and Paniah. Now, Paniah had children, which was all good, but Hannah had been unable to conceive and hadn't, hadn't had any children. And uh, 
And Peniah would taunt Hannah regarding this. Year after year, she would tease her, she would be at her uh, about the, the significance and kind of the cultural relevance of her not having any children. But Elkanah, well, he would tell Hannah, uh, you can read this in the Bible, he says, hey, don't be upset. You don't have any kids, but you've got me. Aren't I better than 10 sons? So not only is she copying a little bit of flack from Paniah, she's got a husband who's like, don't worry about it. You got me. You don't need any kids. You got me. I'm better than 10 sons. And one year the family had journeyed for their annual offering to the tabernacle and, and Hannah really cried out to the Lord while she was there from the deep anguish in her heart to, to have a son. So much so that the priest whose name was Eli, he thought that she had, um, had a little too much to drink and tried to remove her from the temple. But it was just the, the grief and the anguish in her heart, the desperation as she cried out to God. And, and at that time, Hannah made a vow that if the Lord would give her a son, that she would give him back to the Lord. Well, her request was granted and Samuel was born and as he was old enough, she honoured her request and she took him back to the temple where he was raised with Eli. And um, my original message all those years ago was encouraging mothers that when we give back to God what he has blessed us with, that we never know what that can mean in the future. This isn't my message for today. This is just a great thought that even as a young man before I, uh, I had any children myself. I, I realized, you know, the power of parenting. And today we think about the power of being a mother. The children that are being raised, we just never know that as we give them back to God, put their, their life in the hands of God, trust God with their future, with their life, with everything. We just never know what that might mean for the future. And here's Hannah offering her son's life back to God to serve in the temple, to serve him, not knowing that Samuel grew up to be one of the most significant men of the Old Testament. He became one of the great prophets, led the people to freedom against the Philistines, anointed the first and second kings of Israel. She never knew that at the time that she honoured her vow, that she trusted God with the life of her son, but there's what happens in the future. So there's the mini message for today. But let's have a look in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 9 and have a look at the four things, just quickly this morning, four things, four actions that we can take to put love into reality and practically in our lives so that we can be a witness for Jesus Christ. Verse 9, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle and Hannah was deep in anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed for the Lord. The first action that I believe we can take as we, as we be salt and light in the worlds that we live in, the individual worlds that we all represent every week, our workplaces, our families, our neighbourhoods, all the people that we come in contact with, the first action that I believe that we can take is to have a cry in our heart for those people that are in our world to come into the knowledge of their Lord and their Saviour. Just like Hannah demonstrated here, she had an anguish. She had a sorrow in her heart for that which was missing, for that which was lost in her life. 
And I believe that that's a great action that we can have in our own life is to actually have a heart that is broken for the people that are in our world, a deep anguish and a deep sorrow for them to come into the knowledge and understanding that there is a saviour for their life. Romans 9 verse 1 says, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off for Christ, if that would save them. Paul's saying here that for the world that he is in, his Jewish brothers and sisters, insert in there whoever exists in your world, this cry of his heart that there would be nothing that he wouldn't do. There'd be no price, no costs that he would not pay. Because his heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for the people that are in his world. And I believe that's what we can continue to develop in our lives as we be salt and light. But a cry in our heart for the people in our world to come into that knowledge. Psalm 37 verse 4, a great Scripture that I love also says, Delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And I know I've, I've shared this a couple of times about that original word in the Hebrew that says give, it means to transplant. And I think too often we kind of read these Scriptures and think, excellent, that means God's going to give me my Lexus. But what it's actually saying here in Psalm 37 verse 4 is that when we delight in the Lord, when we spend time in His presence, He will transplant the desires of His heart into ours. And the desires of His heart is that none shall perish, that all may be saved. I had a pastor growing up who used to tell me that that was the heartbeat of God, the double, the boom, boom. The first one was that none shall perish, and the second was that all shall be saved. And as we put that action in our lives, as we delight in the Lord, as we spend time in His presence, He can transplant those desires into our hearts so that we too can go and be salt and light in our world, having a deep sorrow and an anguish and a cry from our heart to see the people that are in our world come to know Jesus Christ. Verse 11, And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, If you would look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. The second action and decision that we can make, that we can learn from this story, is to actually realize what belongs to God. And I think this is a, an interesting one, and I, I want to I explain it like this. If, if, you, if you are renting a home, and you have a landlord, and your water heater breaks open, busts open, it, it breaks for whatever reason, I don't know, it's a technical thing, some pipe pops off and water comes out, who knows, it's just magic to me, and, and, and it breaks, and you can do a few things, you can... You can go and try and fix it yourself, which I would never attempt because I wouldn't be able to find my left-handed screwdrivers. Uh, You can try and fix it yourself. You can pay someone to come and repair it. You can buy yourself a new one. You can do all these things. But at the end of the day, if you're renting, the property is not actually your own. 
And it's the responsibility of the landlord to actually solve that problem for you. It's their water heater. It's their home. They're responsible to do whatever it takes to fix that water heater in your house. It's not your responsibility. You can actually kind of take the pressure off yourself with a simple phone call to the real estate agent and say, hey, the water heater's busted. And it's no longer actually your responsibility to get it repaired. You've just got to make yourself available to give access or whatever it might take. But you don't have to bear the cost and the burden and the pressure of actually fixing that water heater. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. You see, it's Jesus' job to actually provide salvation. It's not ours. Too often, I think, we feel the pressure that we have to fix the water heater in the lives of our friends and our family that we've got a a deep sorrow and an anguish to see come in to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But the, the truth is that Jesus was the one that died for their sins and provided salvation for them. We don't have to carry the responsibility and the burden of their salvation. We just have to be the witness. We just have to testify of Jesus Christ. We just have to be the one that demonstrates that he's real and that he is there and that he's available to them by the actions that we put in our life. And I believe that it's a great action for us to consider as a church in being salt and light that we don't, we're not responsible of bearing the burden of salvation. We are just responsible of, like in the analogy, providing access to the landlord so the water heater can be fixed. We just need to demonstrate, let people know that there is a Lord and there is a Saviour that is waiting for them. That's our job. Salvation, not our responsibility, but living a life that demonstrates acts of love and therefore testifies us as being disciples of Christ. That's our responsibility. Firstly, to to get the desires of our heart, to have a deep sorrow and anguish for those that need to know him, and secondly, just making access for them to meet him through the way that we live our life. Verse 12, And as she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk? He demanded, throw away your wine. Verse 15, oh no, sir, she replied, I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. So polite in the Old Testament. Then she went back and began to eat. I mean, sorry, but he's just like, you're drunk. Get out of the temple. And then a minute later, oh, thank you, sir. It's all good. So polite. She's a far better person than I would be. And she was no longer sad. Verse 19, the entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, and she said, I asked the Lord for him. 
The key word from this passage of the Bible is in due time. We've got to trust God's timing when it comes to being salt and light in the worlds that we live in. There was a great message by Joel last year where he, he talked about the four-day pause, the story of Lazarus being resurrected and the four days it took and, and about trusting God's timing. You know, we are the, the instant generation. We want, our, we want our food now. We want our photos instantly. If we can't get someone on the mobile phone straight away, then we're cranky at them. We want everything absolutely instantly. If our McDonald's drive through coffee takes more than two minutes, we are cranky. because we Not just because we haven't had coffee, but because we expect things instantly and right away. And there's an action that we can take in demonstrating God's love to people and being salt and light. And that is just to trust in God's timing. Remember, it's not our responsibility to fix the water heater. We just have to be the testimony. We just have to be the witness. We just have to keep showing love to people and trust that God has it all in hand. Psalm 37, verse 7, just the first part of it says, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. I love that verse. Be still in His presence. Not still in frustration. Not still in your own strength. Not still in let's try and fix the water heater ourselves. But just be still in His presence and wait patiently for Him to act just like Hannah had to wait, but in due time, God gave her the answer to the anguish and the sorrow that was in her heart. Verse 21 The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow. But Hannah did not go. She told her husband, Wait until the boy is weaned, and then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshipped the Lord there together. So I believe the fourth action is that we need to understand and realize that it will take a sacrifice for this to happen. Just like when Hannah even brought her son back to the temple She came bearing gifts for a sacrifice. It cost them a bull, a flower, and some wine. It cost them something significant. A bull is not just a cow. It it was the, you know, an important part of their. Thanks, Brian. Basic science: a bull is not a cow. (laughs) Take that in your notes. But you know, a, a, a bull is required for for growing the herd. We're not going to go that deep in science, Brian. Everyone knows that part. You know, it took, it cost Elkanah and his family something significant. 
And the same thing applies to us all this time later. I'm not saying that you need to take a bull into your workplace and sacrifice it in giving back to God so that you're, you can be an influence for Jesus Christ in there. That, unless you work in an abattoir, that's going to not go down too well. But it's going to cost us something. It's going to be inconvenient at times. It's going to be uncomfortable at times. It might cost you an extra meal or an extra coffee. It might mean that you don't always get to do the thing that you want to do, but you sacrifice that for the sake of the sorrow and anguish that is in your heart so that more of our world may see Jesus Christ demonstrated through us. I mean, you ask anyone on the Street Safe team what it costs to go out and be salt and light in the streets of Newcastle between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. Then you ask their families what it costs. They lose time through the day to, to bank some sleep or they're just ultra grumpy for the whole weekend, whatever it might be. Chris, stop digging your ribs into Nikki's side. But it costs us something to be salt and light. It takes us giving something or giving up something or losing something of ourselves to see that happen in our world. And I believe that these four actions that we can look at in our life in being salt and light and understanding what we talked about in John, 1 John 3.18 about showing that practical love, that real demonstration of loving others comes through having that cry in our heart, that deep anguish and sorrow by spending time, by delighting in the Lord so that our heart may be filled with his desires for those people who need to know him. Realizing that it belongs to Jesus for their salvation. That pressure is not something we carry on our shoulders. Our job, our responsibility is just to be salt and light in our world so that we can reflect back to what he has already done. Trusting in God's timing, being still in his presence and waiting for him to act and then just paying the cost of what it takes to be salt and light in our world to reach out to our friends. As we jump back to 1 John 3, I'll just get the band to come up as we draw to a close today. But I just want to continue a couple more verses there. From verse 19 it says, Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Verse 21, dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he suggested us to do, or rather commanded us to do. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. My mum told me as a very young boy so that I it just became ingrained and I believed her that as she became a mother, she received eyes in the back of her head. 
Have any other mothers used this same story to their advantage? I asked her about this before the service. Mom, I'm going to talk about this. And she said, just remember, I still have them. (laughs) But she used to tell me that, that she had eyes in the back of her head and there was nothing that I could do that she did not know about. And so I can remember that that line, <laughs> I, I know what it was because I'm a parent now, so I understand it. But I could walk back in sometimes with the guiltiest look on my face because I knew that mum must have known what I did because she had eyes in the back of her head. But I also know the confidence that I could have when I wasn't feeling guilty about something, knowing that mum had eyes in the back of her head and she knew everything when I would say, mum, that's not the way the story went. That bold confidence I could have when coming to her. And we read that in this verse just after John has told us that we need to practically love the people around us to be salt and light. He says in verse 21, Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from Him whatever we ask because we obey Him and do the things that please Him. In other words, we obey Him by loving each other, by demonstrating love, doing the things that please him. That's why Hannah could come so boldly into his presence and ask. And that's why we can as well. So boldly and confidently come to God and ask for him. Because we put actions in our life that demonstrate love for one another and mean that we are not wanting to be, not hoping to be, but we are salt and light in the worlds that we exist. We're going to finish with a worship song this morning and I just felt that the best thing that we can do at the end of a a message again about being salt and light is just spend some time delighting in the Lord. The first step to these actions is to have a heart that is for those that are hurting and lost in our world, to get that deep anguish in our heart for the world that we live. So, As we close and as we pray this morning, I just want to hand back to the worship team so we can just spend some time delighting in the Lord, spending time in His presence, asking for the desires of His heart to be transplanted into ours. Before we go and enjoy Mother's Day with our families, let's just take some time to bring that to Him this morning, just like we saw Hannah do in the first chapter of Samuel, to cry out, without guilt for those that need to know Him in our lives. Lord, we thank You for a day to celebrate mothers. We thank You for a day to come into Your presence, Lord. But we thank You that that You have empowered us and require of us to be Your vessels in this world. Lord, this morning as we spend time delighting in your presence, Lord, I pray that you fill our hearts with the desires of yours, that none shall perish, that all will be saved, that this hurt and broken world would come into the knowledge of you, Jesus Christ. 
Lord, this morning as we take a few minutes, fill our hearts with a desire. Fill our hearts with passion. Fill our hearts with anguish and brokenness for those that are in our world, Lord, so that we may take delight in you, so that we may obey your command to go forth and love each other. We thank you, Lord. Amen.